right, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Um, let me invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6 this morning. We are uh, we're starting a new series called Who Do You Say I Am this morning. Uh, we've been looking at uh, the book of Revelation most of the year, and we're going to come back to Revelation a little bit later in the summer, but um, I thought as we're entering Holy Week and Easter coming next week, it would be good to, uh, to kind of shift gears a little bit and, and look at uh, the account of Jesus and, uh, in, in the Gospels. And in the Gospel of John, uh, seven or eight places in the Gospel of John, Jesus um, makes this great statement about who he is. Uh, these great I am statements that we're going to be looking at over the next uh, seven or eight weeks. Um, and so basically what I want to do in this series, and, and especially this morning, is invite you to wonder at the person of Jesus, the great I am. Uh, one of the tragedies of growing up is that we lose the capacity to wonder. And I'm reminded of this almost every day when I get home at the end of the day, I pull into the, open the garage and walk in, and, and almost every day before I even get into the house, one of my kids, usually one of the younger two, but uh, not always, uh, I don't even get into the house before my kids come and they're telling me about some amazing discovery that they have made uh, that day. And it, it's, it's just incredible to see how excited they get at such simple things. This week, uh, my daughter was excited because she had um, superhero dress-up day. She could all, it was, it was princess or superhero dress-up day. And she was so excited to dress up like Batgirl. And it was, it was fantastic. Uh, my, uh, one of my boys is learning to tie his shoes and I've been trying to teach him to tie his shoes and he came home from school. And he was so excited because he discovered the two bunny ear method of tying your shoes, which apparently he thought was gonna be a lot easier and he was super excited about that. Almost every day they rush down with something new. Um, they're so excited because they've got to tell dad about this new discovery that they have made. And yet as we grow older, we lose the capacity to wonder. We, we are not as in awe about the world that we live in and the lives that we live. And so, um, you know, as a child, with just a little bit of imagination, a backyard can fill an afternoon with adventure, right? But, but as you grow up, a backyard is just something that has to be mowed, a lawn that has to be taken care of, right? Uh, we lose the capacity to wonder. Um, as we, when we're children and we, you know, we think one day I'll grow up and I'll get to do some, like I'll have this life of adventure where like people will pay me to go on adventures and then we grow up and we get jobs. And it's, um, it, it's less amazing than we uh, perhaps thought it might be. Um, wonder gives way to boredom. And John, the author of the Gospel of John, wants to help us recapture the wonder. Uh, at the end of the book of John, John says that um, he, he's recorded the life of Jesus and many of the signs and miracles that Jesus performed. And then John says Jesus did many other signs and miracles, but these are recorded. The ones that he wrote down in the Gospel of John are recorded so that we might believe. And almost a hundred times in the Gospel of John, um, John is telling us that Jesus did something so that we might believe. And um, that, that word believe or trust in Jesus 
Um, we need to think about what that means. Frederick Bruner, who is a, um, who's a, who's a scholar, Bible scholar, theologian, he's written uh, commentaries on Matthew and John that considered, I, I think, especially by a lot of pastor friends of mine, to be just like the best commentaries that there are. Uh, on Matthew and John especially. Uh, they're scholarly, they're rich, they're, they're deep, and yet they're so practical, they're so beautiful. And uh, in his commentary on John, um, Dr. Bruner says that relaxing in is a good modern translation of believing in or trusting in. How do you know if you're believing in Jesus? Well, are you relaxed? Relaxing in Jesus. Uh, he says it is the goal of the entire Gospel of John to create this relaxation. I love that. Are you relaxing in Jesus? Are you relaxing in Jesus? Our goal this year at Resurrection OC is to help you recapture the beauty, the wonder, the, the awe, the majesty of who God is, that he might fill our hearts and capture our imaginations so that he can do in us what only he can. He can fill us with wonder that we might actually believe in Jesus. And so in this Easter season, we're going to spend the next seven or eight weeks uh, looking at these I am sayings where Jesus uh, makes just astounding claims about who he is so that we might relax in him, that we might be filled with wonder when we might relax in him. So with that, let me ask you to stand with me, and I'm going to read, um, I think, the first of these I am sayings in John chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 16, it's a relatively short passage. Let's hear God's word together. John writes this, When evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles... They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, literally, I am. Do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Oh God, would you... Help us this morning to meet Jesus. Would you help us to be stunned, to be filled uh, with wonder at who he is, the mystery and the beauty of who he is, that we might relax in him and pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. Relax. Relax in Jesus. That's, that's what we're talking about, and that... Gosh, that's really hard, isn't it? And we live, the opposite, what's the opposite of being relaxed? It's being stressed, it's being anxious, and we live in one of the most stressed out places and the most stressed out time that the human race has ever known. If you are, um, I, I, I saw a, uh, um, an article in the Guardian newspaper yesterday. Um, it was titled, The New Religion, and it said this, that the new this is the new religion of our age. It said, deep down, we're using work, politics, family, and romance to achieve our own salvation. But the truth is, this new religion is doomed to fail. This is a secular publication in London, right? And it said this, we work long hours, not just to earn enough money, but to justify our existence. We scour parenting books, 
for the correct approach to child rearing as if raising the perfect adult might redeem us. We invest existential value in eating the right or clean food, which is a strikingly moralistic word. And it goes on to describe how we, you know, we, we, we labor, we toil, and we end up frustrated in this vain attempt to justify ourselves, to make ourselves feel better about the lives that we live. We're working longer and longer hours to justify our existence, but feeling, feeling more frustration. If you are between the ages of 22 and 37, then you are a millennial, which is just slightly younger than I am. Uh, yes. And millennials, unlike people older than them, right, are stressed out. Millennials are really stressed out. One third of millennials believe that their lives are more stressful than the average person's life. Okay? One third of millennials believe they are more stressed out than the average person. And three in five millennials say that life now is more stressful than ever before. The average millennial says that everyday stressors cause them to lose sleep one out of every two or three nights. People under the age of 37. People that are 38 and above, like me, are also stressed out. Uh, it's not just millennials. The American Psychological Association reports that most Americans are suffering from moderate to high stress, with 44% reporting that their stress levels have increased in the past five years. Unchecked stress, we know, leads to um, both mental health issues and physical health issues. Um, and we are so, so we're stressed out and we know it, and yet we cannot seem to do anything about it. Um, fascinating, we work longer and longer hours, we take less and less vacation days. In this country alone, businesses currently have an accrued collective $224 billion in unused paid time off, okay? The value of people not using their allocated vacation time is $224 billion. Nobody takes as much vacation as they are given uh, in this country. From 2000 to 2013, the average employee in the United States has steadily reduced the amount of vacation time taken from 21 days a year to now just 16 days per year. Um, far less than, than many countries. Uh, it's gotten so bad, I read an article recently, this happened in um, South Korea, there was a man who, South Korea is one of the few countries where people actually work longer hours than the United States. And this man was so just exhausted from the frenetic busyness of his life that he had a week vacation and he had a neighbor who was a prison warden and he asked his neighbor if it would be possible for him to spend his week vacation in prison. And his neighbor said there would be way too much red tape so this man and his wife started a I mean, I guess hotel is the word, a place that you can go on vacation to pretend like you are in prison. And um, this, is, this is incredible. Visitors come for stays of two days at a time and are locked in Spartan cells for 20 hours a day with no access to phones, computers, or the internet. They wear matching uniforms and are forbidden from speaking to other visitors while sleeping on a yoga mat on the floor. People are paying to do this. Okay, now, I know that sounds a little extreme. I, I, 
I told that to some friends a couple weeks ago, and they were like, that's a great way to make money. We should start doing that. We'd have to make it a little more she-she in the US, but people would totally pay. Okay, there are camps, there are like retreat centers, there are bed and breakfasts now, where you will pay, like you can go there and pay extra money uh, for the privilege of having all digital technology removed and blocked while you stay there. Um, it's crazy. We all know people, maybe we've done this ourselves, where we have like kind of announced, I am taking a digital social media fast. Uh, we are busier and busier, and yet it's not reflected uh, in greater uh, pro productivity. So the point is just this, we are stressed. We are stressed. And the tragedy of all of that is not simply that we're stressed. The tragedy of all that is Jesus said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Jesus is promising rest. And yet, um, like Jesus and church, is the first thing we drop when we get busy, right? We don't run to Jesus. Um, we run from him. Do we think that Jesus could be the answer to our stress and anxiety? Most of us think that if we um, go on vacation more, if we work less, that we would be a little more relaxed. We've got better sleep. I had the conversation with a neighbor just the other day. You know, how was your uh, spring break? Oh, we went on vacation. Oh, man, man, I need a vacation from my vacation. Isn't that like, I don't know why people say that. I need a vacation from my vacation. Um, but what John is telling us is that Jesus is offering rest and relaxation that lasts and transcends. So that if you get it, you can be relaxed no matter your circumstances. And you can actually go out into the world uh, not simply just radiating anxiety back to people, but absorbing it and becoming a presence of rest in the lives of others. That's what Jesus is doing in this passage. So this morning, I just want to kind of walk you through this passage, help you relax in the great I am, and I'm going to give you uh, an end with something just really practical that you can, you can do to actually relax. So look at this passage with me. Uh, a few things that I want to uh, highlight. And the first, the first thing is this. The first thing we see is that we cannot run from the storm. We cannot run from the storm. Um, John says that Jesus put his disciples into a boat and he sends them into a storm. And, uh, and this is an important kind of caveat, or, or I don't know, footnote here. But um, John is, is describing a historical event. This literally happened in history, and yet he writes it in a way um, as to encourage us to also read it symbolically. Does that make sense? It's not just a parable, but it also functions in that way. And we know that because John, one of the themes of the Gospel of John is, um, is darkness. And um, John uses darkness repeatedly in a symbolic way. Darkness is con uh, connected with the absence of Jesus. Nicodemus comes to talk to Jesus in the dark. Um, and so what, 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 what's happening here when John is telling us that uh, this happened in the dark, is he's telling us this literally happened, and yet uh, there, there's a sense in which it has a symbolic truth in the way this plays out in each of our lives. And so the disciples go down to the sea, and they get into a boat, and they're about three or four miles out into the, the middle of the sea, uh, a long way from shore, and it's dark, and a storm hits them out of nowhere, and it says that they were frightened. Some translations say they were, they were terrified. 
And what I want you to see first is this, that Jesus sends them into the storm. Jesus sends them into the storm. God often uses the storms of life to get our attention. He uses these things to get our attention. He uses things like sickness and struggle. He uses financial difficulty. He uses situations where we just need a new job. Um, He uses the betrayal of a friend, disease, struggle at work. He uses these things in our lives to show us our need for him. He uses them to wean sin out of our lives. He uses them to uh, mature us. He uses them to grow us up so that we can be a blessing to others. Um, He uses them for other purposes as well, but God uses storms in our lives to get our attention and to work in us. And what I want you to see is this, that when storms come in our lives, they will not leave us unchanged. One of the things I'm absolutely convinced of is that a storm coming into your life is like a you know, a why in the road, where it will either lead you closer to God and deeper into his love, or you will turn and run from it. Um, I see both the good and the bad of that all the time as a pastor. And one of my deepest joys, because I know that in many ways, many in our church are in this kind of season of going through some sort of storm in life right now. One of the deepest joys is listening, sitting and listening to you talk. And yes, of course, it's hard. And yet seeing the way that God is is working in you um, to convince you of his love and his care for you. There there are so many, I mean, just as I look at you right now, that we've we've had these conversations, right? And of course, I'm not going to mention anybody. Well, let me just, I don't think... um, I think you know that Maureen Messenger passed away last week. And, um, and I think that those who know and love the Messengers would say that as horrible as this is, as much as we miss Maureen, there has been a beauty in watching Carl and Maureen. Um, that's just a faithful example of what it looks like to finish well. It's horrible. Death is awful. And yet, they have brought all of us closer and deeper into the love of God through their example of faithfulness. And yet others of us turn and run and we stiff-arm God. And we question His goodness. We question whether perhaps we are more just than God is. When storms come, they will either draw us deeper into the love of God or we will try to outrun them. We will stiff-arm God. And so here's the thing I want to say. Don't run from the storm. Don't run from the storm. I know that it is difficult. But here's what I know. You either, um, you're either in a storm now, or you're just emerging from a storm, or you're about to go into one. And the second and third of those are kind of the same thing. So you're basically either in a storm, or you're about to be in a storm. Right? This is what life is like. Don't run from the storm. Don't run from the storm. Palm Sunday. um, I know we're not looking at like the traditional Palm Sunday text. But here's the thing about Palm Sunday. Um, Everybody wants to receive Jesus as long as it means for them a spot in the sun. 
As long as Jesus is the king and we get to follow him into glory, everybody, even apparently Richard Dawkins, wants to claim Jesus. And yet following Jesus means inevitably God will lead us into a storm. It's just the truth of life. But God will use the storms in our lives, so don't try to run away from the storm. Instead, focus on getting Jesus into the boat with you. Don't run from the storm. Secondly, relax. Um, the disciples are in the boat. They're a long way out at sea. The storm comes up, and they're scared. And it says that they saw Jesus walking on the water and coming to them. And it's funny, actually. It doesn't say that they're scared. They're, they're in them. I mean, most of these guys were fishermen. They knew what storms were like. Uh, they're in a boat in the middle of the sea. The storm comes up. They're okay. And then they see Jesus walking on water. And then it says they're terrified. Like, oh great, this, we got a storm, whatever, but who, why is Jesus walking on water? What does that mean? They were frightened. And then it says, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they were glad, or some translations, translations say, then they were willing to take him into the boat. Um, Jesus says, it is I, do not be afraid. Now I want to say that differently. Because Jesus isn't doing Shakespeare. It is I, right? Literally in the Greek, um, the translation is, I am. Uh, Jesus walks to them. They're terrified. Jesus says, I am. Do not be afraid. Um, Relax. I am. And then they were willing to take him into the boat. Now, why is this so important? Well, when we read Jesus, uh, when, when Jesus says, I am, here, and when he says this seven other places in the Gospel of John, uh, he, he's not just making a statement about who he is. Uh, ego, I, me, in Greek, I am, is a definitive statement where Jesus is claiming to be the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament, the God who has revealed himself to his people. But if you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, When God appears in the burning bush to Moses and says to Moses, you are going to go back to Egypt and you are going to lead my people out of slavery and into the promised land and I will be your God and you will be my people. Moses kind of quibbles with God and says, how do I know this is going to happen? And God, you know, proves to him over and over again. And and uh, and then Moses says, by the way, what's your name? And, and God responds and says, I am. In Hebrew, he says Yahweh, the personal name of God. But the, the, in the Hebrew, Yahweh simply means I am. It's, 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 it's the verb to be. I am who I am. I will be what I will be. And so Jesus here says, relax, I am. And what he's saying is, I am the God who comes as fire. I'm the God who is mysterious and beautiful and yet dangerous. I'm the God who cannot be tamed. I'm the God who who is with you. I'm the God who is present in your life. So relax. The God who appears as fire has become a man. Fascinating thing I think about the Bible. The Bible almost never says in like kind of black and white language that Jesus is God. I think you can make the case one time uh, after the resurrection, when Jesus appears to Thomas, and Thomas responds and says, my Lord and my God. Maybe the one time in black and white that the Bible claims that Jesus is divine. 
And yet if you read the New Testament, it's like the authors of the New Testament are painting this bright, 3D, vivid picture where the conclusion is inescapable. It's so much more grand uh, than just checking a theological box. Is Jesus God, yes or no? Which box do you check? No, the, the New Testament is created as a grand, beautiful, majestic picture that the God who appears as fire has become a man to fill us with wonder and awe and he is. So relax. Relax. And here's why I think relax in is such a better translation than trust in or believe in Jesus. I mean, ask yourself, do you trust Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? I mean, have you had like, some of us, I, there was a time, I know, I can remember when I believed in Jesus for the first time. I put my trust in him. But am I trusting him now? It, am I trusting him enough? Had, like, you can work yourself into a tizzy, like trying to answer that question. And, and, and Christians over the ages have kind of worked themselves into these places of, oh, I don't know if I can really trust that, that, that I am believing in Jesus. So don't ask yourself if you believe in Jesus. Ask yourself, am I relaxed? Am I relaxing in Jesus? If I'm relaxed, I can feel it in my body. You know, if, I, if I'm trusting in Jesus, I just work myself into confusion. But if I'm stressed, the adrenaline flowing through my body wakes me up in the middle of the night and tells me I'm not relaxed. But I want you to picture this. You've all done this, but picture, you know, I'm in a pool. Don't picture me in a pool, but okay. I'm in a pool. Let's just say I'm in a pool. That's what I mean. You've all done this. And I'm trying to teach my son to float on his back. And so I'm there holding him, and I can feel his body is rigid and it's tense. And I'm telling him, you've got to lean your head back. And I remember doing that as a kid. I hate that. I hate that because you get water in your ears, and it's going to like rush back over your face, and you're going to get... I hate it, right? But I'm holding this rigid little boy in the water. I'm trying to teach him to float. I say, put your head back. You've just got to relax. But we all know it's, it's, it's not going to happen until he relaxes. And the moment he relaxes, puts his head back, then he's going to float. And so what do I say to him? I say, relax. I'm here. And that's what Jesus is saying. I am. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm caring for you. I am upholding you. I'm giving you life. I'm sustaining you. I'm providing for you. I am so relax. 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 And then it's interesting that it says that then they were glad, or then they were willing to take him into the boat. And the implication, I think, is that they didn't have to take him into the boat. Jesus wasn't like barging into the boat. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And so it's possible to be a Christian. And yes, I believe that the Bible is true. And I believe Jesus died for my sins. And I believe he rose from the dead on Easter and ascended into heaven. And he's going to take care of me after I die. And yet, I'm not actively trusting in him. I'm not actively believing in him. I'm not actively relaxed. I mean, would you say, if you look at the world, that Christians are known for just being so relaxed? 
I'm not looking to Jesus uh, to find meaning and significance in life. I'm not trusting that what he says about me is more true than what I believe about myself. I'm glad that Jesus will take care of me when I die, but I essentially live like between now and then, it's all up to me. And so I can't really obey God. Um, I saw this article, you know, what's the, what's the least observed of the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment, um, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. God has woven into the fabric of our existence as Christians that one day out of seven we rest, that we relax, that we trust that he is good. And then I can't observe the Sabbath because, I mean, who's got time for that? Like, it sounds great, right? Oh, sure, Pastor, like, that's a great idea, but, like, nobody's got time for that. This is the real world, and so we're stressed. But here's what you have to see. Jesus doesn't just say, like, suck it up and relax because that doesn't make sense. Right? Just try harder and relax. But what you have to see here is that there's another miracle in this passage. Um, there's the obvious miracle of Jesus walking on water. But Don Carson, in his commentary on John, points out that there's a second miracle in this passage. And it's that as soon as they take him into the boat, it says, then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So they're in the middle of the sea, and yet, as soon as they take Jesus into their boat, immediately they've arrived at their destination. And so the point is this, if you get Jesus into your boat, you get what you are actually searching for. So what is it that you're working so hard for that is stressing you out in life? Um, what, what are you working so hard for? What are, you, what are you wanting out of life? If you get Jesus into your boat, then you've already arrived. That's what I mean, like, He's going to give you what you want. But it means that you are at your destination. And this is really what this whole series and the I Am sayings of Jesus is all about. I mean, think about this. Um, you know, Jesus says, I am the way. And he's talking to the disciples. And he says to the disciples, uh, I'm about to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die, but I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. And I want you to follow me and you will get there one day. And, and essentially, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And Thomas says, but Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't know where you're going. How in the world do we know how to get there? And Jesus says, I am the way. He says, I am the way. If you just get me, then you get direction life um, so think about it like this are you looking for direction in life I mean think about it, like should I take this job or that job should I go back to school or should I change careers or should I move houses or should I should we have another kid or you know there, there are these decisions and I think so so many times we can just get paralyzed and if you have Jesus you have direction and what, what that means is you are not going to so badly mess up your life let me be clear, like it's possible to make bad decisions and mess up your life, but we can act like, should I buy the red car or the blue car? And if I buy the wrong color car, that's gonna be like the moment I come back to it's like, ah, I don't fall apart then. And if you have Jesus, you have the way. He is the direction. If you know Jesus, you know the way. Are you looking for vitality, excitement? Fullness in life, Jesus says, I am the life. Are you looking for a do-over? 
Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Are you looking for satisfaction in life? Jesus says, I am the bread. If you get Jesus into your boat, you're immediately at the destination. Jesus says, relax, I am. I am. So, practically speaking, then, how do you get Jesus into your boat? Um, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to do something that it'll be fine and I feel a little bit better. Um, but I know that some of you are looking at me going, yeah, you're talking about relaxing, and you're like the most anxious person I know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a couple couple months ago, somebody on Sunday morning asked me, are you preaching this morning? I said, no. And they're like, oh, I can tell because you're so relaxed. <laughs> um, and so I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm a mess, but I can tell you that God has been using the storms in my life to just help me trust him and believe in him, help me relax. And... Um, I mean, it's a mess. Like, I totally, um, I totally lost it on my wife this week. As I'm preparing to preach a sermon on relax, she's teaching Sunday school. That's not why she's not here this morning. It's fine. I mean, it's not good, but it's okay. <sighs> but what I want to do is, I, I'm, I'm learning and I'm growing, and I want to share with you what I've experienced. And um, it's incredible to live with wonder because God is good. And so there are really two things uh, in my life that God has used over the last, uh, you know, several months or whatever to just help me relax <laughs> and believe in Him and trust Him. And, um, and, and I'm going to warn you that as soon as I tell you what they are, you're going to be kind of disappointed. But it's, it's, it's reading the Bible and practicing silence. And I think both of those things can be done in a way that don't really help you um, trust or believe in Jesus. Like, I can read my Bible because, gosh darn it, like, I'm going to check that box again today. But I've begun to read the Bible because, like, I need to hear my Father's voice. And, and I need to hear, I need to hear Him talk to me. And I've begun to practice the discipline of silence uh, because we live in such a crazy, fast-paced world where, like, I mean, I, I, I view going for a run as an opportunity to get something else done. Like, I can listen to something and work out at the same time. I can drive and be productive with technology, you know? And so, like, we never have the opportunity, we never make the opportunity to just be quiet. And yet it's been a spiritual discipline for thousands and thousands of years to just practice being silent in the presence of God. You know, the Psalms say, be still and know that I am God. Habakkuk says, the Lord is in his temple. All Let all the earth be silent. And um, I could, like, explain to you, like, how and why to be silent. <laughs> I could talk about, about being silent. But how about if we just be silent? And so, uh, this might feel weird, but I'm going to invite us to um, be silent for two minutes. Um, silence is not about emptying our minds. It's not about mindfulness. It's not about Eastern meditation. 
It's about simply pausing to acknowledge that we are in the presence of God, that God, we are present with God at every moment, and yet most of the time we fail to realize it. And so we're going to be silent, um, and it's going to be, you're going to be surprised at how difficult this is, because as soon as you're silent, you start remembering that there's this email that you need to send, and uh, you don't know what you're going to do for lunch this afternoon, and you got to text this person back, and uh, your mind is going to be flooded with all of these things that you need to do, that you think you need to do. And I want to encourage you to just let that pass. Just let it go and just remind yourself I'm in the presence of God. So let's take two minutes right now. I'll keep an eye on the time. And let me invite you to simply just close your eyes. And you might want to place your hands in your lap. Open your hands. Take a deep breath. And let's be silent. pray for us in just a moment, but I want to just leave you with this challenge uh, that this week, between now and Easter, I want to challenge you to practice being silent in the presence of God for two minutes each day. You may want to build up to five minutes or more. Um, you don't have to do it. You're not going to earn anything. God's not going to love you more. Um, I, this is still very new for me, but I, I, I have done this enough to know that it will change you. That if, if you practice being present in the, in, the, in the presence of God, being silent in the presence of God, it will actually begin to rewire your brain. And it will help you to relax if you simply be and know that God is.
Jesus is all that you need, that he is for you. He is the way, he is the truth, the life, he is the bread of life, he is the resurrection. Because he is the great I am. Let's pray together. Oh God, we are grateful for Jesus. We thank you that he uh, is the king, that he came to uh, not rule by the sword, but that he came to vanquish the enemy, the last enemy of death, by taking it upon himself. And so as we enter into this week of Good Friday, Ed, would you help us um, to simply slow down to be in your presence and know that you are God. That we might look to Jesus and know that um, that he is all that we need. That he lived for us, that he died for us, he rose again from the grave. And he now sits at your right hand, Father, where he rules all things. We thank you for Jesus, which you cause us to see him afresh, his beauty and mystery, and respond with worship and wonder.